You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Well, good morning, church. It is a pleasure and a joy to be up here to share God's word with you, as it always is a pleasure and a joy to do so. My name is Rick Bowers. Uh, If you don't know me, I am one of the pastors on staff here at Redeemer. And this morning, I have to let you know, honestly, I have a a task that's been put before me that's a little bit challenging for me. If you know me, if you know me well, you know that uh, I am a feeler. I am a deeply emotional person. However, when a feeling is sort of born in my heart and begins to make its way to my face, it often gets lost. And so if you're looking at my face, expecting for my expressions to communicate to you my emotions, it's probably not going to happen too often. And so the reason my task this morning is difficult is because I've been asked to bring you a message from the Word on the Advent theme of joy. So I promise to you guys this morning, I will do my best to get my joy from my heart to my face, and I would ask for you guys to give me grace when I fail to do that as I bring the counsel of God to the people of God. Well, as most of you know, we're in our second week of the Advent season and and preaching through these Advent themes, and last week, uh, Pastor Jordan preached to us a wonderful message about hope. And he reminded us that the Christian hope is not flimsy, it's not thin, it's not frail, but it is in fact steadfast and strong and historically rooted in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. And it rests in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And today we'll continue with our Advent themes. And know, church, that the word Advent or Adventus is actually the Latin translation of the Greek word parousia. And parousia is the word that your Bible uses to describe the first coming of Jesus Christ, and it's also the same word your Bible uses to describe the second word of or the second coming of Jesus Christ. So during Adventus or Advent, we celebrate and remember both comings of Christ and we're reminded that we are right in the middle. That we're in the already not yet time period, that Jesus has already come, but he's not yet returned to fully consummate his kingdom, to bring it in full. And there's no better time than Advent to take a deeper look at what the scriptures have to to tell us about joy. If we were to pick a time of year where we're expected to have a whole lot of happiness to have a whole lot of pleasure going on in our lives, to have a whole lot of joy going on in our lives, it would be Christmas time. It would be this season. Our traditional Christmas songs sing about this experience of happiness. We sing jingle bells and we're laughing all the way. We sing holly jolly Christmas and we have a cup of cheer. We sing deck the halls and we tis the season to be jolly. And many of us look forward to the Christmas season. We do it all year long. We look forward to it. We desire it to come. We desire that happiness and pleasure. Some of us even put our Christmas trees up before Thanksgiving. We're so excited about the Christmas season. And in many ways, our culture holds this season up as the pinnacle of happiness and pleasure. But let me ask you, what do you feel if you feel happiness and pleasure during this season? What do you feel on January 16th? What do you feel on April 4th or June 2nd or September 19th? What do you feel on these other random days of the year? 
As part of the human experience, we hold up happiness and pleasure as something that we really want to be seeking, uh, but it's frail and it's fragile and it's really hard to find. And we have to wonder if this human experience for us of happiness is more than just these fickle feelings, than this endless and often unfruitful pursuit of a happiness that lasts. And the scriptures will tell us that there is more for us. The Bible will tell us that there is an emotion, a reality, an eternal truth to experience that is good and is deeply anchored in something relational and eternal. And it's such a permanent reality that nothing can take it away. This is what the scriptures will tell us that Christian joy really is. So this morning, we're going to take a little bit of an Advent journey. Since it's Christmas time, we're going to borrow a storyline from one of my favorite Christmas stories, uh, Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And just as Ebenezer Scrooge was sort of transported to these three moments in time, the past, the present, and the future, we are going to do the same thing through the biblical timeline of faith. We're going to look at our past as a people of God, we're going to look at our present, and we're going to look at our future. The scriptures have a lot to say on Christian joy, but these are the three moments we're going to visit, we're going to sort of examine this morning, and we're going to see what God has to tell us about joy in the Christian life. Let me pray, and then we will begin uh, our journey. Heavenly Father, as the psalmist says, we give thanks to you for you are uh, good. Your steadfast love endures forever, and it endures even in this moment. And your word tells us of your love. Your word tells us of what you've provided for us, and it tells us of who you are. So God, I just ask that you would uh, illuminate that truth to our hearts and our minds. I ask, ask that you would allow your spirit to come in such a way as to just proclaim those truths to the, to the depths of our heart. Jesus, I ask that you would be our guide and our shepherd through it. We love you, and we trust you, Father. Amen. Well, our very first stop is going to take us to the past in the lives of God's people. We're going to step into a moment in our history that will give us a picture of joy in the lives of our fathers and of our mothers uh, in the faith. And just as an aside, I want you to know that once you place your faith in Jesus, remember that you sort of enter into this familial timeline as well. It's a gift to you. So when we read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all these people, we are part of that timeline now. Don't forget that. Don't forget that wonderful gift. So as the ghost of Christmas past took Ebenezer to his, let's allow Scripture to take us to ours. If you would turn to Exodus chapter 15 with me. And while you're turning there, I'm going to sort of bring us up to speed. Exodus chapter 15. As we step into this moment of the Israelites, we need to see where they've been and how they got here. The story begins with a pagan man named Abram hearing this promise of God. God tells him, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God promises this to Abram. So he listens and believes and he follows this call of God. Years pass and his wife Sarah miraculously has a son, Isaac. And that promise that God made begins to shimmer. A great nation is coming. Eventually Abraham dies and now Isaac sort of moves to center stage for us and God reminds Isaac of the promise that he made to his father. 
And then Isaac has two sons, one of whom is Jacob. And that promise from God shimmers again. It's moving on through God's people. Then Jacob's family begins to grow, and he has 13 children, and they have children, and they have children, and they have children, and God's people begin to grow in number. And the promise that God gave Abraham of becoming a great nation is starting to shine now brightly. And this big family that's now grown moves into the land of Egypt, and Exodus chapter 1 puts it this way, says, they were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And the land of Egypt, where they all are now, where this family is, is overwhelmed by the number of God's people. And the Egyptians aren't too happy about this. They start dealing harshly with the Israelites. They enslave them. They make them work as slaves. And the light of that promise begins to darken. The Israelites grow bitter with hard service. They grow bitter under the hand of the Egyptians, and the Egyptians even begin to kill Israelite children to control their numbers. Where is that promise now? And just when it seems like hope is lost, an Israelite child escapes the murdering hand of Egypt, and little Moses enters our story, and the promise all of a sudden shimmers again. And then by his hand, God leads Moses and the Israelites out of captivity, over 600,000 of them, out of the cruel hand of the Egyptians, and God frees them from their slavery. And now that promise is shining brightly for God's people. And we find ourselves here now at Exodus chapter 15. Over 400 years have passed between Abram and this moment. And at times, that light of the promise seemed to be just a flicker. It was barely there, but it never went out. And here in Exodus, the Israelites stand on the edge of the sea, a sea that just swallowed the Egyptian army. And with that sea on one side and a wilderness out in front of them on the other, they erupt in praise and they sing a song of joy. Look at Exodus 15 now with me, starting in verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Going on, look at verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you've redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And finally, verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you've made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. We are witnessing a song of something more than just happiness. Something deeper is running in their veins. Pay attention to the lines of this song in Scripture. They're not about laughing all the way or having a cup of cheer. In fact, the lines of this song are not oriented around humanity at all. 
but they're oriented in a Godward direction. Each line of this song is focused on the person and the work of the living God. Look at your text. He's triumphed gloriously over their enemy. He's triumphed over those Egyptian taskmasters. He's become the very strength of the people, the thing which holds them up in the journey. He's their savior, their salvation, and he's brought them out of slavery. And then they sing, by his love, he now leads them to himself. This song is all Godward in orientation. Their eyes are not fixed upon themselves. They're not fixed upon what is seen, but they're fixed upon the God who delivered them. Their gaze is to heaven, not to earth. Their gaze is not to their conditions. Remember where we are, church. The Israelites are standing on the edge of the sea. They've fled Egypt in haste. Their feet are planted in desert soil with a wilderness stretching out ahead of them. If they were to stop and look at their conditions, if they were to stop and ponder their conditions, there would not be a whole lot of happiness happening among them. But this isn't a song of conditional happiness. What they're feeling is what preacher Charles Spurgeon would call a refreshment in the marrow of their bones. They've seen God rescue them from slavery and continue to move them in the direction of his promises, and they cannot contain their response. It erupts out of them as they set the focus of their attention upon him. We are witnessing biblical joy in this moment. Biblical joy comes to us as we experience the reality of who our God is and when we focus not on our conditions, but on our creator. And that's what we're singing here. That's what they're singing, or that's what we're seeing here. That's what they are singing about, that the God of the Bible is a triumphant, strong, loving, promise-keeping God who really redeems his people, and that despite their present circumstance, they focus on God and experience joy. As humans, the conditions around us are always changing. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. Sometimes they're wonderful, sometimes they're terrifying. But as citizens of the kingdom of God, our gaze should not linger on what's around us, but it should be fully focused on God himself because we've experienced who he is. We've experienced our creator. Let's make our way from our past and examining that moment, and let's move on to our present If we were really copying um, the Dickens Christmas Carol story, as you guys know, most of you guys have probably seen it. Right now, you would fall asleep, and then uh, I would come in and wake you up, but it's not okay to fall asleep in church, so I'm going to ask you guys, just stay with me, and we'll keep moving forward. The second stop in our Advent journey is to the present, sort of. If joy comes to us, if our first stop showed us that joy comes to us not through our conditions, but through our creator, let's look at a moment where our creator comes into our condition. Turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. As you're turning there, let me help us locate ourselves again before we read. Since that moment, on the edge of the sea, God's people have struggled. 
They've fought and they've divided. They've sought their God and they've run away from him. They've worshiped him rightly and then they've chased after the gods of the land. They've truly been a mess. But all along, they've been reminded of the promises of their God. Promises that he will restore his relationship with them. Promises that he will raise up a king among them to rule forever. And promises that one day he will dwell with them. And they've been longing and they've been waiting and they've been yearning to see those promises come. For that relationship to be mended. To see this king that's been promised. And to have their God walk among them. And so they wait. And they wait. And they wait. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Follow along with me, Luke 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. God's made good again on his promise. Do you see that? Now let's see how this promise and the human experience of joy intersect. Look at what the angel said. He said, I bring good news of great joy. What is joy really? Most modern dictionaries say that joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. But is that really what the angels mean here? There are a lot of things that can make us happy. Tacos can make us happy. Pizza can make us happy. Lots of different foods can make us happy. Approval can make us happy. Attention can make some of us happy. Or maybe not getting attention can make some of us happy. Getting uh, the way you you want your day to go. Like if you have your day planned out and it goes the way you want it, it's going to make you happy. But pay attention. Happiness is always dependent on external conditions. If my taco is bad, I'm not happy. If my day goes wrong, not the way I planned, I'm not happy. If I don't get that attention or affection or approval that I really desire, then I'm not happy. External conditions can change the degree of or even eliminate happiness altogether. So if the angels are just saying, hey, we have news of happiness, then if I'm honest, who really wants it? It's 2022. I can manufacture my own happiness if I want to do that. We do it all the time. That can't be what they mean. And praise God, it isn't. So what are they saying? Look at verse 11. It explains for us the grounding of this good news of great joy. A Savior is born. The Christ. The Holy One. The set-apart one, the chosen one, the Messiah, the king to rule is now here. This is the very first recorded proclamation of the gospel in the New Testament. The Savior that has been promised has come. 
The promises are breaking in, a king to rule, the mending of the relationship, God walking among humanity. In the middle of our mess, in the middle of us trying to manufacture happiness left and right, God has made good on his promise. The creator has come into the condition. Do you see that? When we looked at the past, we saw that joy doesn't come through our conditions, but it comes through our creator. And here we see God expand that truth. He sort of blows that truth up. And here we see that joy comes when we realize and understand that our creator has come into our condition. The human condition. The reality in which each one of us in this room live day in and day out. Broken homes. Racism. Classism. Manipulation, genocide, addiction, poverty, abuse, unfaithfulness, abandonment, starvation, dishonesty, war, death. We are broken, and we know it to be true in the depths of our soul. We can spend millions to manipulate our circumstances. We can scroll all day to numb the truth. We can hide our heads in the sand as much as we want, but it's fleeting and it's exhausting and it wears us out and somehow the brokenness always finds its way right back into our lap. And any happiness we manufacture is frail and it's fragile and it's temporary and it's fleeting And a moment sometimes falls on us when the heartbeat doesn't show on the monitor anymore. When the boss or the spouse says, I don't need you anymore. When the doctor calls and we can't really remember anything beyond the word terminal. We find ourselves in a place where we cannot manufacture happiness. A moment where we can look at everyone around us and we can look at everything around us and and we can't find happiness. A moment where we can look deep inside ourselves and realize that Disney lied, it's not in here either. This is when the facade of worldly happiness gets pulled back and the reality of the human condition is fully realized. And this, this mess is exactly what the creator has come into. And that is good news of great joy, church family. Jesus has brought himself into the human condition, not only to rescue us and redeem us from sin, not only to give us new lives and to make us into new creations, not only to promise us a future, but to give us something outside of ourselves and outside of everything else and outside of everything we can manufacture, to give us something that we can anchor ourselves to so we might know that good and steady and long-suffering and enduring emotion of Christian joy. The good reaction of the human soul in trusting the living God, that's joy. I'll say it again. Christian joy 
is the good reaction of the human soul to trusting in the living God. And no condition, no circumstance, no sadness, no loss, no grief can ever uproot that joy because Jesus Christ has overcome every condition of the human experience by his presence, by his power, and by his love. This is why the psalmist says in Psalm 33:21 that our trust in God brings us joy. This is why Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1:8 that our love for Christ fills us with inexpressible and glorious joy. This is why Paul will write so much about joy in his own suffering and he'll write to the New Testament churches saying, "I know you're experiencing tribulation and suffering, but have joy." This is why Jesus will tell his disciples that here in the present they will weep and lament, and they will experience sorrow and pain and suffering, but nothing will take their joy from them. Joy for the Christian isn't always about laughing and smiling and the giggles. In reality, joy sometimes means that we face excruciating pain and loss and sorrow. Joy can sometimes mean that we weep in brokenness, that we're on the floor heaving in lament and grief and sorrow and loss. But if in those moments someone could plumb the depths of your soul, they would not find a desert of despair, but they would find a spring of living water flowing steady and true and resting in the lordship of Jesus Christ. That is Christian joy. And there is no other human emotion like it. A joy like this only comes from trusting in the living God, only comes by trusting in Jesus Christ, by trusting in the reality that our creator has come and has entered into our condition. And just like Ebenezer Scrooge was asked to question his own life, I think our examination of the present asks us to question ours. As you sit there this morning, I just want to ask, have you placed your trust in the living God of the Bible? Have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ that he, the creator, has come into the condition? As we make our way from the present, we have one last stop in our Advent journey. Let's look now to the future, to the future for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And although the Christmas carol story gets a little scary at this moment, as Christians, we never have anything in our future to fear. I have some specific members of my family who will remain nameless who uh, always want to know what's happening next in our lives. Hey, where are we going this weekend? Hey, what are we doing this Friday night? Hey, who's coming to Gospel Community? Hey, who are we going out to eat with? Hey, uh, who's coming over later? It's, it's always the questions. And it's not because this person uh, doesn't love the present moment, 
It's because they always want something to look forward to. It sort of fuels their passion for life, and they are passionate. As Christians, we should be like this with our future. Eternity is written on the hearts of humanity, and because of that, we either fall into two camps. We either don't ever think about our future, or we think about our future, but uh, maybe it's with excitement, but often we're terrified as we think about our future. But as Christians, when we think about our future, we can rejoice because it's a good future. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 15, verse 2. Let's look at the Apostle John's vision. And all nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Does this song sound familiar to you, church family? Every word is Godward. Every line focused on the person and the work of the living God. Is it familiar? When we looked back at our past, at the beginning of our sermon, we looked at our past as a people of faith, and we saw the exodus God's people delivered, and they stood on the edge of a sea, and they sang that song that we looked at earlier. And right here, John gives the same image of faithful followers of Jesus Christ standing on the edge of a sea, and they sing. Do you know why they sing? They sing because they've finally been delivered. Because promises have been kept. Because a decisive victory has been won. They sing in joy at this new reality. A forever future with their creator in a new condition. God has kept his promise of rescue through the exodus. He's made that in full in Jesus. And that promise continues. And one day we will realize that promise in full. Right now, Paul says we see dimly. We see sort of in a foggy way. Everything's not clear to us, but a day's coming and things will be crystal clear when we will see and know clearly. And we will sing our own song of salvation, just like God's people did on the edge of the sea in Exodus, just like we see in John's vision here. This is a shadow of things past and things yet to come. We will be delivered from the broken human condition by our Lord and King Jesus. We will experience a moment where God will decisively destroy our enemy and bring to us a land of promise. We will be led into a glorious future where he dwells with us. Flip over a few pages to Revelation 21, verse 1. Revelation 21. Verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
It's this glorious future which awaits the Christian. Our broken human condition will one day be instantly changed and that wellspring of joy down deep will erupt eternally as we're in the presence of Jesus Christ, in the presence of our living God. Christian joy is found in the reality of a new future, a new condition forever with our creator. As we come to the end of our Christmas carol journey, we've taken a look at our past, our present, and our future as people of faith. But what do they have in common? Scrooge's visits all pointed to him being a selfish miser. What do our visits point to? I think it's this. True Christian joy, that deep, stable, long-suffering, good emotion always comes from the living God. Always. Paul says in Galatians that it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's something given to us when we place our trust in Christ Jesus. And it's then that as we've seen today, we can have joy despite our conditions because we're focused on our creator. It's then that we can have joy in knowing in full reality that our creator has come into our conditions and we can experience his presence. And it's in joy and longing for the future when our joy will be known in full as we are in the presence of Jesus Christ himself. Christian joy comes from the living God and as kingdom-hearted people, we receive it and maintain it by the God-given means of grace by Christian fellowship, by studying and meditating on and hearing the word of God, by breaking bread together in communion and by nearness to God himself in prayer. And when we remove ourselves from those things, when we live in unrepentant sin, when we let unresolved conflict linger and our Christian love for one another fail, our joy begins to fade. Jesus tells us in John 15 that Christian love brings us fullness of joy. So when we fail to love and live in the manner of Jesus Christ, our joy will begin to dry up. And eventually, it can become fleeting, almost like happiness, something we have to search for. But know this, when we turn to him, God is always generous to provide to provide the wonderful fruit of his spirit so that we might once again sing for joy. Do you know why singing is so important in scripture? Why it's so important to God? It's important because it's evidence of our joy. Psalm 511 says, let all who take refuge in you rejoice, let them sing for joy. But it's not only evidence of human joy, It's also evidence, singing is evidence of divine joy. Zephaniah 3.17 talks about as people come to God, he rejoices over them in singing. And while we don't yet fully sing our song of salvation, we can sing songs like we sang this morning and like this as we wait. Come thou long-expected Jesus, 
born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Let me pray for us. Good Father, I ask this morning that if you are not the joy of our longing heart, that you would rush in and make yourself so. I ask this morning that as we take stock of the conditions around us and uh, maybe in our own lives, maybe they're rough, maybe they're hard, maybe they're difficult, and maybe we feel dry inside with joy, maybe not... um, Maybe we don't feel that wellspring of life. I just ask that you would generously give it, that you would allow your word this morning to work its way into our heart. Let your spirit bring it to us and deliver it to us in such a way that we can respond in joy, that we can respond in that deep and steady, long-suffering, good emotion that you desire for us to have when we rest in you. Jesus, thank you for providing that for us. Help us experience it more and more and in full. We love you. We trust you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.